The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's Friday. It's PFTPM wrapping up the... Work week preceding the third Sunday of the regular season. Shereen Williams, Mike Florio here with you today. Good afternoon, Shereen. How are you? Hi, Mike. I'm good and will be better if the Dallas Stars can win game three of the Stanley Cup Finals. Wait, game three or game four? Game four. Yeah, you're right. Down two to one. They need to win game four. You're exactly right. Lost a game I, in there. The, I was trying to forget the, about the, that the, last game. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't work like that. You can't just pretend that game didn't happen. <laughs> I've tried that. I tried that starting December 28, 1975, but that's a different issue altogether. All right, but game 4 is tonight and game 5 is Saturday night. It is so bizarre to have the NBA playoffs reaching almost the climax of the season. They're in the conference finals now, the Stanley Cup final, baseball getting closer and closer to its postseason and the NFL regular season getting rolling and maybe some postseason previews coming up this weekend some very good games and let's tell you everything you need to know about what's happening from an injury standpoint the San Francisco 49ers at this point it's probably easier to Shireen uh, Shireen to just list the guys who are available not the guys who aren't available the laundry list has gotten longer and longer and longer for the San Francisco 49ers and now tight end George Kittle is out. He will not play. That's kind of a surprise because he seems like the guy who will will himself onto the field. I wonder how much the concerns about the quality of the turf at MetLife Stadium factored into the decision to give him another week off. But no George Kittle. But you know what? That's not necessarily bad news for the 49ers because Jordan Reed has been more than capable as a replacement. Yeah, you know, Mike, the best stat I saw was of the 46 players who took one snap in the season opener for the 49ers, 11 of those players are not going to play this week. And they're big names. They're not just random guys. They're not guys at the bottom of your roster. They're all those big name guys. But Nick Mullins will will need, making his first start in two years, will need that tight end. And it's unfortunate he won't have George Kittle because – when he did play, 29% of his passes went to George Kittle. And, and Kittle, in the eight games he played with Nick Mullins, kind of that's when he started coming to his, into his own because Nick Mullins just kept feeding him, and he's smart enough to feed him. So I think Jordan Reed's, if, if you haven't been fantasy, I would recommend playing him this week because Nick Mullins loves the tight end. And, and with George Kittle there, Jordan Reed's going to have a big day. Nobody cares about your fantasy team, but let me tell you this. I've got him in both of the leagues I'm in. I saw it coming. Jordan Reed, roll the dice another week. And I talked to him after his two-touchdown performance against the Jets, and he told me how close he came to walking away from football. And it was the 49ers postseason run last year that inspired him to come back. He was drafted by Washington when the Shanahans were there, so that connection to the offense existed. And even though Mullins and Jordan Reed haven't worked together before, they both know the offense, and Reed, if he does what he did last week, will be a good target for Nick Mullins in their first game together. Uh, at, well, and you know what? Well, Mullins played the second half. He may have thrown one of the touchdown passes. I have to go back and, and look at the box score, but they already have played part of a game together. I forget that Mullins played half the game last week, so they do have some experience. So that's good news for the 49ers. And the best news is they're playing the Giants without Saquon Barkley. You know, and any of the NFC West opponents, if they were facing them this weekend, we'd say they're probably done. This is the perfect spot in the calendar for the 49ers to be going through these injury issues because they got the double dose of the crappy New York teams. Yeah, and I'm really excited to see Jarrett McKinnon. I mean, this is a kid that we've rooted for to come back from all his injuries over the last two years and get a chance to play. And, of course, he's been buried on the depth chart behind Tevin Coleman and Raheem Mozart. Well, he's going to get his chance this week. He and Jeff Wilson are going to get to carry the ball. And I I would think we're going to see a big dose of those running backs uh, in this game this week, too. So excited to see him play, excited to see Jordan Reed 
play, come back. You, you root for guys like that who've been out and get a chance to come back and, and make good again. Yeah, big contract for Jarek McKinnon after the 2017 season, torn ACL just before the start of the 2018 season. And then he ended up being shelved again in 2019 because that, that knee just hadn't completely healed. Now he's getting his chance as the lead guy, at least for this week. And that's the kind of offense where if you come in and play well, it's, it's, it's hard to get you off of the field. And it's kind of like your job as long as you continue to show that you deserve to have it. The Packers deserve to be 2-0 based upon their offensive explosion to start the season. One of only a handful of teams in league history to have more than 80 points and more than 1,000 yards of offense in the first two games of a season. Here is Coach Matt LaFleur talking about the challenge that the Packers face this weekend in a Superdome that will have at most 750 fans present. Do you feel at all you, you guys catch a break uh, by not having fans or limited fans in top road venues in U.S. Bank and now and now the Superdome? Well, yeah, it definitely makes it more challenging for the offense, especially when you're going into places that are known to be extremely loud where it's hard to communicate. Uh, but uh, I think a lot of visiting teams right now are catching breaks. Well, the ball comes out extremely fast. I feel like they've always had a great run game. Uh, they've got playmakers all over the field. Kamara, um, you know, we'll see what, what, what's going on with Michael Thomas. But uh, Jared Cook, there's there's um, a lot of playmakers there. Obviously, you got a Hall of Fame quarterback. I think their offensive line is, is pretty darn good as well. It's one of the better lines. So, um, And I think just schematically, you just look back at over the course of these years, um, you know, there's they're a team that everybody in the league watches because their staff does such a great job of getting just explosive plays and, and are able to generate points year in and year out. The Green Bay Packers are going to have to get it done, though, possibly, likely, whatever. I don't know what doubtful means anymore. They changed the categories a few years ago. They got rid of probable. Questionable now technically includes 99% to 51% available. Doubtful is anything less than 50%. Doubtful is the designation that's been given to Devontae Adams with a hamstring injury. And I, look, he, he was dominant week one against the Vikings. Last week, he exited early with the injury. The Packers still were able to roll up a bunch of points. I think the receivers are, are sufficiently comfortable in this offense, and more importantly, the quarterback, Aaron Rodgers, is sufficiently comfortable that it's not something that's insurmountable, especially against the Saints defense that is far from dominant. And, you know, as LaFleur said, a lot of road teams are catching breaks early this year. But if you're going to catch breaks, it's nice to catch a break when you go to Minnesota and go to New Orleans, two of the loudest stadiums in all of football, when fans are actually there. <laughs> no question about that. The home field is not quite the home field that it once was in New Orleans. But the best thing for the Packers is they played without Devontae Adams for four games last season. They went 4-0. They averaged 32.5 points per game, which was the second most in that four-game stretch in the NFL. So they've done this before. They know how to get it done. And, you know, I think Devontae Adams is one of the most underrated players in the NFL. I don't think we give him, or at least I don't, give him enough credit for, for what he's done. 17 catches already this year for 192 yards and two touchdowns. And that came mostly in that first game, as you said. He left early last week. But when you look at the Packers receivers, I mean, their second leading receivers, running back Aaron Jones. He loves to go to the running backs. But when you look at the rest of that receiving core, there's really nothing that, that scares you as a defensive coordinator. But Aaron Rodgers is just one of those guys that makes his receiving core look better than really what they are. Sort of like what Tom Brady has done. You know, Randall Cobb leaves and he's not the same receiver he was when he was in Green Bay. And it just seems like that with all those Packers receivers, Aaron Rodgers just makes them better. I don't think it, it matters who you give him. He's going to find the open guy and make the throws. You just better catch the ball or he's not going to be happy with you. What a performance from Aaron Jones last weekend. 236 yards from scrimmage and three touchdowns. And when I talked to him after the game, we, we joked about his contract. He said, yeah, I think I need to hang up and go get my agent a phone call. And, and maybe he does because he's one of those guys in his fourth year that is yet to get his financial reward. And he is proving that he definitely deserves it. And I expect a lot of Aaron Jones on Sunday night as the Packers try to send the Saints to one and two, making it harder for the Saints. Michael Thomas is out and that's not a surprise with the high ankle sprain. It's expected to keep him out several weeks. He's already missed two games. Here's Coach Sean Payton talking about the Saints' current situation. 
There is not Sean Payton sound. So we will talk about the Saints' current situation <laughs> instead of Sean Payton. Sean Payton would probably not like to talk about the situation for his offense right now. It's a different offense without Michael Thomas. And we saw last week, early on, it was clicking. But then something happened, and I can't put my finger on it. It just kind of happened. You know, that Saints offense that goes up and down the field and scores points was still moving the ball. They just weren't scoring points. And once they fell behind, when you don't have a quarterback who can throw the ball down the field consistently, it makes it hard to come from behind. So they need to replace the Michael Thomas production. They need to address these concerns about Drew Brees. And I don't think Drew Brees is fundamentally any different than he's been the past four years. But the thing is, people are starting to notice that, that hey, maybe Father Time is at the point where he's about to overtake Drew Brees for good. And maybe he's been at that point for the last three or four years. But now without Michael Thomas, it's becoming a little more conspicuous, Shireen. I still think even if Devontae Adams doesn't play, this is a game that could get out of control for the New Orleans Saints because if the Packers are scoring and scoring and scoring, it's not going to take many stops, not not many breaks of the service to, to keep the Saints in a position where they're going to fall behind and they're not going to be able to come back. Yeah, and Mike, I'll go back to that Raiders game. You're talking about the momentum swing, what happened. I thought it was the interception right before the half, and I know they'd had a couple drives in there after they looked so good the first couple drives that didn't lead to any points, didn't go anywhere, but I thought that interception right before the half was just huge. You just felt the momentum swing to the Raiders, and the Raiders came back and really dominated the second half of that game. But my question is, where's Emmanuel Sanders? You sign him, you outbid teams for him, you get him, you've targeted him three times, he has one catch for 18 yards. This is the time they need him to step up, they need to find him, he needs to become the Michael Thomas for Drew Brees right now, because that's why they, that's why they signed him, that's why they got him on the team, I realize it was to be the number two receiver, but without Michael Thomas there, he's your guy, he's got to go make those catches and right now, Alvin Kamara is the second leading receiver, the leading receiver at, in, in New Orleans behind Michael Thomas, with Michael Thomas being out. But he's got to find Emmanuel Sanders. I think they just need to get Emmanuel Sanders more involved in this game. And, and I want to see more Taysom Hill. I still don't get it. I don't understand why the reps are down offensively. I understand why the reps are down on special teams. Plummeted from 84% in the playoff game against the Vikings to 19% week two. Consistently down from the playoff game to week one to week two. Are they saving him? What's the deal? Is there some delicate dance going on between Breeze and Hill, even though everybody always says the right thing? Is it some sort of a mirror-mirror-on-the-wall situation and Breeze doesn't want to give up the offense and doesn't want to have to go off the field and let Taysom Hill do what Drew Breeze can't do anymore? It's got to feel like a knife in, in the back or, or, as the case may be, a pain-killing injection in the ribs that goes through and punctures the lung for Drew Brees to have Taysom Hill come out and just do with no effort whatsoever the thing that Brees can't do anymore. Yeah, no question about it. And, and that's the thing is what happens if Drew Brees has another bad game? What happens if he can't get the ball down the field? He has He's averaging 4.25 air yards Per reception, that's just not good enough. It's the lowest in the NFL after two weeks is 2009 Brett Favre. So they've got to get the ball down the field. And if Brett, Favre, if Drew Brees can't do that anymore, then they've got to figure out how to do that and how to do it delicately. And Sean Payton, I think he's brilliant, and I think he'll find a way to do it. But it's time, and it's time to take the bubble wrap off of Taysom Hill uh, let him play. Bring in Jameis Winston if you have to to throw the ball down. Whatever you have to do, let's not you get crazy. Make this work. It's it's time to go. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to see any more pick funny. sixes, right? Yeah, Jameis Winston is the only guy who was active for the Saints week one and didn't play, and week two didn't and didn't play. The only guy we issued a uniform who actually did not cross the white stripe and go onto the field either week. But I, I look, I know this. Taysom Hill was the best player on the field for the Saints, if not the best player on the field for either team in the playoff game. And that, to me, was a sign of things to come. And yes, maybe eventually he becomes the starting quarterback. But until then, it's this bull in a china shop who can run really, really fast. And uh, why not unleash him? Un unless the Saints know something, the rest of us don't. 
uh, I, I say use this guy. Otherwise, you're going to have a hell of a time outscoring the Green Bay Packers come Sunday night. And and uh, it's just he's too good and he's too much fun to watch to have him used in limited doses. Two runs for eight yards, no catches, no throws on Monday night against the Las Vegas Raiders. All right, the Atlanta Falcons trying to avoid an 0-3 start. Plenty of questions there about the future of Dan Quinn. That seems to be the refrain every year in September and October. Julio Jones questionable with that hamstring injury. It didn't keep him from playing last week, but it kept him from making a catch that would have been the dagger for the Cowboys. He attributed that drop where he was wide open to his hamstring. So uh, whether he plays, whether he doesn't play, the Falcons are desperate this weekend for a win and of all the 2-0 teams I'd say the Bears and then maybe a half click above that the Raiders the most unlikely to be 2-0 so maybe the most vulnerable this weekend to losing would be the Bears on the road against the Falcons and I know they have Calvin Ridley and he's played great and and he's been great this whole entire season but you need Julio Jones and he showed in week one he's still if not the best receiver in the NFL, the second best receiver to DeAndre Hopkins. I don't think there's too much argument that those are the two best receivers in the NFL right now over the last couple of years. But that hamstring hampered him, and, and you could tell. And he had the two catches for 24 yards, and he did drop the touchdown. A perfectly thrown ball on the trick play from Russell Gage just went right through his through his hands and he hadn't practiced all week so even if he does play he's not going to be a hundred percent there's no way he's going to be a hundred percent so it's unfortunate for the Falcons but they're probably going to have to make do with him if he plays I would think he would be at a very limited pitch count uh, this week so it's going to be a lot of Calvin Ridley again nobody cares about your fantasy team but you have if you have Calvin Ridley I'd probably play him yeah, he's tied for the league lead with receiving yards right now. And you mentioned Russell Gage. Early in the week, I was calling him Harry Gage because I see that 83 and I keep thinking Harry Douglas. <laughs> but Russell Gage, quietly solid for the Falcons and and maybe a guy who ends up getting more opportunities on Sunday if Julio Jones either ends up not playing or is limited and maybe doesn't take the same number of snaps you ordinarily would. The Cowboys go to Seattle to take on the Seahawks. Demarcus Lawrence, questionable with a knee injury. Tyron Smith, questionable though you think their franchise left tackle is a little less than questionable going into this game correct I do and and I have serious concerns about Tyron Smith and I said it before the season these neck and back injuries he's had these stingers just over and over and over again had the back injury we keep thinking he's old he's he has been in the league forever there's no doubt about that but he was 20 when he came into the league doesn't turn 30 until December he's still a young guy but these injuries really are starting to catch up with him and it's been a really long time. I think 2015 was the last time he played a full 16-game season. And he just keeps having these same injuries, neck and back, neck and back. I just don't think he's going to play. I think it's going to be Brandon Knight again at left tackle for the Cowboys. The good news for the Cowboys, the Seahawks don't have the kind of pass rush they once did. But their defense still good enough to give the Cowboys some fits if things are clicking. But they did give up 35 points to – wait, 30 points to the Patriots in 24 or 28 what was it 38 25 the first week so they've given up 30 and 25 points in two weeks this season all right the Tampa Bay Buccaneers they made a big deal out of acquiring Rob Gronkowski from the Patriots after they signed Tom Brady it was a trade that kind of happened quickly Gronkowski unretires now through two games he's been targeted four times two catches for 11 yards zero catches in the week two win over Carolina no touchdowns for Gronk here he is talking about what he's trying to do to enjoy himself as a new member of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, I mean, I'm a blocking tight end, you know. I came here to block, baby. <laughs> so four targets is four more than I thought I was going to get. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm enjoying myself, man. I, I know what I signed up for with football, so I know there's times – where it's going to be a grind. I mean, it's a game of football. There's always going to be ups and downs, uh, hands down about that. I mean, it's, it's, that's football. Uh, it's been like that my whole life, but oh, just overall, man, just going out there and working with the guys, it's, it's, a, it's a pleasure for sure. That hair is mesmerizing. That, can, can we get a still of that hair? That hair <laughs> speaks to me of photo day in the third grade, that that's the way mom combs it. When it's time to go sit in front of the phony background with a tree and a meadow and whatever it is, but Gronk's ready for photo day. He's not ready to catch passes. Baloney, he went there to be a blocking tight end. Baloney, there it is. I love that. 
Uh, <laughs> and then, maybe I'll come on like that next week, but uh, but maybe I won't. But uh, yeah, it's look. Here's the thing, Shireen, and this is the answer. And sometimes the simplest explanation is the best one. The first catch he made this season against the New Orleans Saints, he looked like he was running in quicksand. He doesn't have the speed he used to have. Maybe he'll get it back. Maybe he needs more reps. Maybe he doesn't have the cardio. I don't know, but he's not explosive like he once was. So if that's how he is with the ball in his hands, that's how he is when he's running routes. He's not that guy that's going to create matchup problems. They're not even sending him down the field. They're keeping him in to block. They're not paying him $9 million to block. This has been so far a miscalculation, and it's going to become more and more noticeable if more and more weeks go by without Gronk having six catches for 87 yards and a touchdown. Well, speaking of miscalculations, I'm the idiot who thought he'd come close to a thousand yards this season, and that obviously is not going to happen. And I guess we should have seen it coming because Bruce Arian doesn't use the tight ends in his offense. He never has. But I really thought he would utilize Rob Gronkowski more than than what he has. And, and we thought, well, maybe he comes in on a, on a pitch count. You know, he's been out of football, hadn't played in a couple of years. But he had 54 offensive snaps in the first week, 42 last week. And they were almost all as a blocker. So it's not, I don't think, what any of us expected. I'm not sure it's what Gronkowski expected. Maybe it's what Bruce Arians expected. But like you said, you don't pay a tight end that much money to come in and block. You can. You have tons of tight ends who can come in and block for you. That's not why they got him. And so I, I he better have more production or it's, this is going to be a failed experiment all the way around. Yeah, I've had people say, hey, what do you expect? The tight end doesn't produce a lot of receptions and yardage in Bruce Arians' offense. And my follow is, why the hell do they have three of them then? Why did they keep O.J. Howard? You've got Gronk, O.J. Howard, and Cameron Brayton. I think Cameron Brayton the guy, is the guy who's basically been been uh, the, relegated to the least amount of playing time so far this year. So uh, the whole thing is bizarre to me. And the bottom line is Gronk is getting $9 million, but – you know, for him to press pause on this multimedia career that he had going to reunite with Tom Brady, as I said yesterday, he's the guy who followed his best friend to a new school, but his best friend is now hanging out more with his new classmates. It just feels like Gronk is being forgotten in Tampa Bay. All right, uh, we're going to take a break. When we return, the Philadelphia Eagles are up in a tailspin right now at 0-2, and they are looking at 0-3 if the Bengals can get it together. Our good friend John Ritchie is going to join us to talk about uh, the Eagles current status and also it's the week three things we can't wait to see when Sunday rolls around we'll do that next here on PFTPM yeah I mean like I said it's frustrating it's frustrating especially when you you play the way you did and you leave a lot of plays out on the field Uh, you know you can execute better and um, really week one we know we let it get away from us and week two we just didn't show up and play the way we wanted to play and so for me as, as a leader and all the other leaders it's time to rally everyone around us and just continue to believe don't let any doubt creep in or anything like that and um, we know what we're capable of doing and we're excited to go prove that. Shereen, for me, one of the most amazing developments so far this year in the NFL is the Eagles regressing as dramatically as they are. They came on strong late in the year. They needed to start winning games. They were 5-7. and seven. They caught fire. They won the division. Carson Wentz stayed healthy until the playoff game and was getting it done with a bunch of no-names around. And we thought that would carry over, that lift we saw from Carson Wentz, that reestablishment as one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. And now it just feels like the entire franchise is lost. And I feel like they're, they're, they're digging a hole that, uh, that, that they can't wait to climb out of like they did last year. So without further ado, here he is, the man who was a third-round pick of the Oakland Raiders back in 1998, then played his final season with the Philadelphia Eagles, a radio host with WIP in Philadelphia. John Ritchie, what's up, John? How are you, man? I'm doing great. Doing great. And uh, that was a long time ago. My goodness. Once upon yes, a it time. Was. Once uh, upon a time it- for all of us. We were all a lot younger then. I know. It's great to see you. Oh, it's great to be with you. Hey, what's the panic level, 1 to 10 in Philly right now after the first two games? It's 9.5. And, a half. and uh, if if the Eagles go down swinging on Sunday, if this team falls to 0-3, this will be uh, spinal tap time. I mean, it will, be, it will be past 10, and we will be at 11. People are extremely concerned. 
and with good reason. The team has looked awful. The team has uh, been one of the worst teams in the league, and that's a far cry from where we started the season expecting to be because uh, this is a town that, that believes that we are just recently removed from being the best team in the NFL, you know, the, a, a Super Bowl champ. And uh, we, we've looked nothing like it thus far this season. John, Carson Wentz is 33rd in passer rating. Of course, there's only 32 starting quarterbacks in the NFL. That includes both Chargers quarterbacks. What's been the biggest problem for him so far this year? Inaccuracy. Uh, extreme inaccuracy. We knew that, that Carson wasn't a uh, precision sniper. You know, that, that's not his game. His game is to uh, make athletic plays when plays break down, but also to be, you know, average or slightly better than average at getting the ball where it needs to go. This year, not only missing with on simple throws, been missing on the tougher throws, and on top of all of that, uh, he's been making poor decisions with the football. Uh, in addition to his ordinary just fumbling the football, he's actually throwing interceptions. So he's throwing inaccurately and he's throwing to the other team. And this is a guy who the last three seasons threw seven picks a year. He's sitting at four interceptions after two games right now, and no one knows what to do. This guy is falling. And, you know, the, the good news for the defense is that, that no one notices how bad they are when the offense is that bad. But what's wrong with the defensive side of the ball? Uh, you know, Jim Schwartz, who I, I truly do believe in, uh, I think he's a, a good defensive coordinator, took a lot of the blame for this last game against the Rams. And he flat out said, I tried to simplify things for the guys so they could run around and make plays and, and not have their minds cluttered too much. And it ended up making it harder for them because uh, as, as counterintuitive as that sounds, uh, it was too simple for the Rams. And, and the Rams knew exactly what they were looking at. Jared Goff and company could just uh, proceed without much uh, resistance. I expect that Jim Schwartz, even though he's a guy who likes to uh, be somewhat traditional in his approach and, and not heat it up a lot and throw a lot of looks at an offense, I think that moving forward, he understands that now with the addition of Darius Slay in his secondary, a guy who can lock people down in man coverage, He's going to have to mix it up a little bit and make it tougher on the minds of the uh, opposing quarterbacks uh, more than he has thus far this season. John, you talked about the panic level being almost to a 10. Where does it go if they lose to the Bengals, who were the worst team in the NFL last season, and have a rookie quarterback? Yeah, it'll be it'll be 11. It, farther, uh, it'll be uh, <laughs> Nigel Tufnell turning the amp up. Uh, 11 this this town does not deal well with uh with failure and frustration and and this team and right now people are calling for uh carson's head you know after two games people are saying that they would rather have joe burrow than carson wentz as their quarterback uh people are saying that doug peterson needs to go and howie roseman needs to go that that's and that's after Owen two. So uh, you can imagine, I don't know how many more people there are that can go. I mean, I guess it's Jeffrey Lurie next. John, who would you take between Carson Wentz and Jerbo or both based upon what you've seen from Burrow so far this year? Yeah, well, um, I would take Carson. I, I've seen Carson perform at the highest level in this league. I've seen Carson perform like the MVP of the NFL. Granted, that was in 2017. And I do believe that was in part because he had a different offensive coordinator when Frank Reich was here and a different quarterback coach when John Filippo was here, who was a lot harder on him and coached the little things, the mechanics that he is now failing at. Uh, I think Carson Wentz has proved that he can do it in the league. Joe Burrow has certainly proved that he can do it in the SEC. 
Joe Burrow proved that he could do it when he throws 61 times like he did last week against the Browns. But And, and Joe Burrow, listen, I'm not going to take anything away from him. He is outstanding. He's cool-headed. He is uh, extremely accurate. And he's confident. That's something that Carson Wentz is not right now. Uh, Joe Burrow has an incredible future ahead of him. I think Carson Wentz does too. I, I think he needs coached up better. You know what's interesting? Press Taylor is Carson Wentz's quarterback's coach now. And he's uh, an offensive assistant here. And his brother is now the head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals. So both guys uh, would have something to say about that question, too, I would assume. Hey, you mentioned uh, John, uh, that John little- Filippo. Go ahead, Shereen. I was just going to say you have a little bit of experience with the Raiders and, and John Gruden, and, and they have a big game with the Patriots this week. What's the best way to describe John Gruden and how he treats his quarterbacks? Oh, well, uh, Gru loves uh, his players. Uh, his players love him. I, I, I feel incredibly close to the guy, and I'm terrible at keeping in touch with people. Uh, he's, uh, he's near and dear to my heart. Uh, he uh, values the players on his team like they are uh, his, his kids almost. And that was when he was like 33 years old. We had guys on the team who were older than Gru. And uh, we all felt like we were siblings or, you know, I don't know, nephews or what. Uh, it was close. And uh, I, I, it was interesting seeing the relationship between uh, Gru and Rich Gannon because I wasn't sure who was older at the time. I wasn't sure. Uh, I knew Rich took it seriously. Uh, and, and Gru was one of the most intense people I'd ever been around. But the, the way, the give and take, the argumentative nature of their relationship mixed in with the love of it all and uh, the success that we were able to achieve with that, uh, boy, tempestuous relationship was, was pretty amazing to witness. Even though it's a different stadium now, John Gruden has to be going crazy about going back to the site of the tuck roll game. But, you know, he takes a 2-0 team to New England. I think that they've got to win that game to be regarded as a legitimate team in 2020. What What are your thoughts on where the Raiders are right now and, and how critical is winning this game to proving to everyone that they really are ready to make a run at something? Yeah, I agree with you. Um, they don't get the respect that they deserve. Uh, I, But I believe we always felt that as Raiders. That, that we never got the respect that we deserve. You talk about the tuck rule game. I mean, back when that happened, we felt like the the league had a vendetta against us. You know, the following year, we walk out of the uh, officials meeting when they come to training camp. Um, it, it's it's always um, it's always bigger than football when you're talking about the Raiders. And uh, right now. It doesn't feel like the country respects that the way that they should, in my mind. Uh, I think John Gruden is special. I think that team can be, and he's got sort of a an old-school mentality that he's bringing out now with this team. You know, like the old things are coming back with the way they're pounding the football, but then also mixing in some of the, the newer concepts uh, from the college game. I, for whatever reason, people still don't think Gru has the chops that he does. And I don't know if that's because he was doing, uh, you know, Monday Night Football recently. I, I don't know if people don't recognize him as a coach first. And that's part of the issue. I don't know if it's the, uh, the age-old uh, persona, the, the image of the Raiders, that they don't take it as seriously because they were a bunch of ragtag uh, pirate heroes way back in the day. Um, but there is something there's something that doesn't fit. My, my idea of what that team represents is different than what the, the nation perceives. And beating a team that's led by Bill Belichick always serves to uh, you know, alleviate any such respect issues. 
John, when I was watching that game last night, I saw Chandler Cox make a great block, a great lead block there, the Dolphins fullback, for Jordan Howard to get in the end zone from the one. Do you like, do you think we're seeing a reemergence with the fullback position at least a little bit in the NFL? I, I believe uh, teams that are the most successful are the teams that are able to run it. That is always consistent. For whatever reason, um, you know, you don't have as many fullbacks in, in football nowadays. Uh, you know, I, I guess it, it makes sense. College teams aren't employing a fullback, so why would you have them to, uh, you know, draw from? Uh, you see guys switching positions and becoming fullbacks, you know, like defensive linemen are becoming fullbacks in some cases. It used to be there was an art to playing fullback where you were once a, a running back that sort of outsized the, the running back position, but you you maintain some of that athleticism and, and some of the niftiness. Uh, and then eventually, because you're doing so much blocking and everything else, you forget how to be nifty. Now it's like you've got bigger guys who are taught to be niftier to try to work their way, sift their way through a line of scrimmage. I, I don't, I think that the fullback creates mismatches just like what got the fullback eliminated, which was creating mismatches in the passing game. Now it's just you have different mismatches. And I think Gru's going to take advantage of that. And and I think the smart teams will too, especially because all these teams are manning their defenses with tiny little safety and cornerback-sized linebackers. I mean, I'd be licking my chops uh, looking at those guys. You know, you, you get a 250-pound fullback going up against a 220-pound linebacker, and the fullback's going to win. You're going to create space for a back. John, you mentioned earlier how long it's been since you entered the league in 1998. You played through 2004. How much has the game changed in the 16 years since your playing career ended? It's uh, I, a ton. Uh, I think the biggest, the biggest, the biggest change for me. I, you know, a lot of pro uh, progress has been made in terms of uh, enforcing that guys sit when they should sit when their injuries dictate that they could be uh you know devastatingly uh injured for much longer than than what we thought especially as it pertains to our brains um it what was once unthinkable you know allowing others to see you injured is now commonplace and it has changed uh the way football's played. And it's, I think it's changed the quality of football to some degree because you're getting deeper on the depth charts a lot earlier in seasons. Uh, the new collective bargaining agreement with the way that guys can't practice playing football until they're actually playing regular season football is doing these teams a disservice as well because uh, you can't possibly be ready to play when the season starts these days. Uh, I, I think that's the, the biggest change. We used to go to camp for five weeks, training camp for five weeks, and we'd be hitting each other twice a day. And that's the only way you can really get ready to play football, in my mind. Uh, but I sound like an old fuddy-duddy shaking my, uh, my cane at all the, the young upstarts. <laughs> <laughs> That rock and roll devil music. <laughs> hey, uh, John, we appreciate your time. Let me ask this real quick on the way out the door. Do you like doing your show better when the house is on fire? Is it more fun then, or do you like it better when the team's winning? Uh, well, yeah. it's Philadelphia is such a knowledgeable sports town. They care so much about their teams. Uh I would much prefer we're winning, you know, winning a Super Bowl in Philadelphia, getting to witness that being deeply embroiled in that whole process. Never will I experience that level of thrill again. Right now, being 0-2, I can tell you it's uh, we need to pull out of this hole because there's a lot of anger. There's a lot of animosity and it carries over to everyday life for everyone. Everyone's miserable in, in a, at a new level of miserability uh it's better when we win and i think we will all right this week, at the very least we John, might be i appreciate you very much thanks guys
Great seeing you. Thanks, John. All right, pal. Take care. There he is, John Ritchie. Check him out on WIP, and we hope to have him back again. Uh, once the Eagles start winning, or if they don't win, miserability too. You know, when Chris Sims talks like that, we make fun of him. When John Ritchie does, we're in awe. Miserability <laughs> is a word that I'm going to work into my everyday lexicon. All right, let's do this. Absolutely. Since we ended up talking to him a little bit longer than I thought we would, we got plenty of time left in the show. We're going to take a break, and we're going to combine what we can't wait to see, plus your questions when PFT Live. I, I, I do it once a week. PFT PM. PM. Right after this. PM. All right, wrapping up this Friday edition of PFT PM, not PFT Live. PFT Live starts the day here on Peacock. PFT PM wraps it up. Shireen, it's time for Can't Wait to See Week 3 edition. You lead us off. Well, I think it's Mike McCarthy being second guess. What's he going to be second guess for this week? It's been two weeks in a row, his first two games with the Cowboys. First week, he bypasses a field goal late that would have tied the game. And then last week, they had the two fake punts that didn't work. And then the two-point conversion that you and I agree shouldn't have happened. But it happened anyway. And he told a long story yesterday and really tried to defend himself. And he called it convenient criticism of his decisions. Cowboys fans wanted Jason Garrett to be more aggressive. I think they want Mike McCarthy to be less aggressive. But he said he's not a gambler, but he's going to continue to take chances. I don't have a problem with taking chances as long as they're calculated and as long as they make sense. It makes sense because if you don't get it, you're behind by two possessions and you give the other team an important psychological edge. And even if you could make the argument that the analytics requires it, or at least if it's closer, it's 51-49, that's a result of doing Doing it over and over and over again. Football coaches don't have the benefit, the luxury of doing it over and over again when the goofy, unconventional thing blows up in their faces. You only have so many times you can get away with it before you're gone. I'm looking forward to seeing Josh Allen trying to run over Aaron Donald if he has that opportunity. He won't shy away from it, but of all the guys that Josh Allen has collided with in his lifetime, I think he'll realize it's a little bit different when you collide with Aaron Donald. So for Josh Allen's own safety, I hope he avoids Aaron Donald. But if it's meant to be, I can't wait to see it happen. I also can't wait to see Josh Allen against Jalen Ramsey. We remember Ramsey's critical comments of Josh Allen, and now the two face off again. And I think Jalen Ramsey's, uh, he was supposed to talk to the media today, but I'm guessing that his opinion of Josh Allen has changed since Josh Allen has actually been a really good quarterback so far in the NFL. My second thing, Mike, is I'm looking forward to seeing J.J. Watt and T.J. Watt going off against each other. I realize they both play defense, and they're not going to be on the field at the same time, but J.J. Watt will be on the field with his other brother, Derek. It'll only be the second time in NFL history that we've seen three brothers on the field at the same time. Of course, the Edmonds brothers did it last year, Pittsburgh and Buffalo. So the Watt brothers will go at it. I said the other day that I don't think J.J. Watt's one of the top pass rushers in the NFL anymore. I, people can argue that. I don't think you can argue that he's the second best what pass rusher in the family. I, I had a, a, a vision there while you were talking about TJ and JJ not being on the field at the same time of the Steelers designing a package where all three Watts can be on the field at the same time, where (laughs) TJ comes in as a blocking tight end, get him in the general vicinity of JJ and let Derek and TJ go after JJ. That, that, Look, hey, a guy can dream. It's probably not going to happen, but that would be awesome if they find a way to get all three on the field at the same time. All right, I'm looking to Tom Brady saying farewell to good, uh, or farewell for good to Denver, and I'm sure he's looking forward, Shireen, to saying farewell for good to Denver. He is 8-9 and nine playing at Mile High Stadium in his career. This will be his 18th, and unless he ends up playing for a different team or somehow spends eight seasons total or eight more seasons with the Buccaneers, he won't be back in Denver. Uh, this is it, and this is his chance to get to 500. And the good news is this is probably the worst Broncos team he's ever faced when he's gone to Denver, so maybe he's likely to get out of there at 9-9. Nine and nine. But for as great as he is, it's amazing that he has a sub-500 record at Mile High Stadium. And I think it's the only team he has a losing record against, right? 
I think that's the only team that, that he has a, doesn't have a winning record against, which tells you how great he's been. I'm looking forward to Justin Herbert, a second dose of Justin Herbert, and we're going to get to see him against the Panthers. Of course, Tyrod Taylor is still out, but he just looks so good in his first debut. Didn't know he was going to play. Goes out and throws for 311 yards against the defending Super Bowl champions. A touchdown, ran for a touchdown, made that one rookie mistake when he runs left, throws back right. But he was really, really good in his debut, and and I'm looking forward to seeing how he does uh, with a week of preparation, a week of snaps, and, of course, they have a little bit of film to to look at that he played in since they have no preseason film. Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm curious to see how he does this week and whether he does so well that Tyrod Taylor, even when he's healthy, won't be back. And it'll be the same thing that happened to Tyrod Taylor a couple of years ago when he was benched after an injury for Baker Mayfield. Frankly, Justin Herbert, far more spectacular and dynamic than Baker Mayfield ever was as a rookie based on what we saw in that first game. Last one I'm looking forward to. Will Drew Brees try to do too much now that he is keenly aware of the criticism. We talked earlier in the week that even though players and coaches say they don't listen to the outside noise, Breeze was aware that people were talking about yards per attempt and 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 the air yards and the other little criticisms of his inability to get the ball down the field. Will we see him come out and try to uncork a deep ball and maybe underthrow uh, a deep ball and get it picked off by one of the Packers defensive backs. It's going to be a huge game on Sunday night with real playoff implications to the extent that the Saints and Packers will end up jockeying for position at the top of the conference. Maybe a bye week, maybe a home game, uh, maybe a better seed for the divisional round so you don't have to go on the road if you're the two seed versus the three seed. But I, 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 I think that Drew Brees was probably stung by some of the reaction to what happened on Monday night because he still had a solid game statistically. And, and I, I want to see, will there be that conscious effort? Will he seem like a guy who is determined to shut up the people who may be raising questions about what remaining shelf life he has, Shireen? Didn't he come out in that playoff game, if I remember correctly, and he had a long throw early in the game and it was picked off. He vastly underthrew the ball, and you said he just doesn't have the arm strength anymore. Am I remember, remembering that correctly? You are. That's the 2018 divisional round game. They had two weeks to get ready for it. This was the play. This was the play they picked for the first play from scrimmage, and he couldn't get the ball deep enough. Craven LeBlanc, I think, is the one who picked off the pass, and that's what fueled the initial burst by the Eagles that put them in position to potentially steal the game. And they almost did steal that game against the New Orleans Saints in the 2018 postseason. So, uh, I look, with it's going to be fun to see what happens on Sunday night and to, and to really get a feel for what's going on in that organization because it's clear he can't throw it deep and maybe it's going to be clear that he's going to be determined to try to do it. All right, question that was asked earlier this week that we wanted to get to. Naya to Thomas, do the Browns have the best one-two running back punch in the NFL? Shireen, what do you think? Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, are they the best? Well, Nick Chubb finished second and barely finished second last year for the rushing title. Probably should have won that rushing title. Of course, Kareem Hunt won it as a as a rookie. So I, I think you have to say yes. They rank uh, fourth and ninth right now in the league in rushing. And I just don't think there's anybody that compares to them. I mean, you look at the Cowboys with Elliott and Pollard. That's decent. The Steelers have Connor and Snell. The Packers have uh, Jones and Williams. I mean, there's some there's some good combinations. But I just don't think anybody has that. Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt uh, combination that the, that the Browns have. And they're going to continue to run the football, much to the dismay probably of Odell Beckham, although he says he's okay with blocking, as Gronkowski says he's okay with blocking. But uh, they need to run the ball. That's, that's their strength right now with Baker Mayfield at quarterback. They've got those two running backs who are fantastic. Yeah, Kevin Stefanski, the coach of the team, said earlier today, it's way too premature to talk about blocking receivers and running the ball versus passing the ball. They don't know how each game's going to go, and that's the way that a team needs to be. Every game should be its own plan based upon who the opponent is and what you think you're going to be able to do successfully. Freaking XD wants to know our thoughts on the Raiders-Patriots game. Can Vegas pull off the away game upset? Personally, I think their offense has to be on fire, and the defense has got to make some turnovers. That's the question. Here's my answer. It's going to come down to Derek Carr. Is he going to unleash the ball down the field when he has the opportunities? That's one of the things Sims has been pointing out, that the opportunities are there. John Gruden is going to want Carr to take them. And, you know, that Patriots defense got roasted a little bit last week by the Seahawks. 
Are they susceptible or will they be determined to keep it from happening again? Bottom line is, will Derek Carr be determined to throw the ball down the field and try to move that offense and get the kind of big plays that can break the Patriots back? I think he needs to have a healthy Darren Waller and a healthy Josh Jacobs, too. And, of course, they're questionable. They need to be at 100% because those are two of their biggest playmakers. They, they're not going to get the ball down the field, but they're certainly going to be a big part of that offense. So they need to be healthy and help him out. And, yeah, I, I agree with that, though. they got to have some turnovers. Uh, this, this is a team that, that if you don't have the turnovers and have some short fields, that they're probably going to have a tough time against the Patriots. And I think the Patriots are going to be determined to get back in the winning column after giving Seattle everything they could handle and believing they were going to win that game right down until the past or the last few seconds of the game. So uh, I think the Patriots will be fine. But if the Raiders pull this one off, I'm ready to sign on as a believer in the Raiders this year. Last one real quickly at Ginger Bloke. Of all the changes that the Jets need, what's number one, Shireen? Oh, you hate to say quarterback, but I mean, this is a team that's 32nd total offense. And I know he doesn't have great weapons. I, I get all that. And, you know, I guess you go back to what Bill Parcells said. You start building with the offensive line and the defensive line and, and make it work there. But they need a lot. They need more Makai Becton's. He's looked good so far, which is an affirmation of what Joe Douglas, the GM of the team, is doing. Mike McCagden tried to build the team from the outside in. The right way to do it is build it from the inside out. Both lines of scrimmage. When you have a great offensive line and defensive line, all those other players are going to look a hell of a lot better, and that's what the Jets need. It just may take a couple more years to get there, and in the interim, they're going to lose plenty of football games, which means they'll get some high draft picks. All right. That's it for today. Week three is upon us. Enjoy the games on Sunday. We'll be back Monday morning with another edition of Pro Football Talk Live. Check us out all weekend long at ProFootballTalk.com. Have a great weekend. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.